0: Hi! Thanks for joining me for another episode of Chapter Chat. This is our online book club. Uh, my name is Carrie Ebert, and I am one of the co-hosts uh, this evening. My other co-host, um, or my co-host—not my other one, but my co-host uh, Mike from uh, at Grow Now ADHD—he was unable to join us, but. We are uh, blessed to have the author of the book that we have been discussing. So I am going to get her on here and then we will get started. So it is going to be uh, my good friend, Linda, and I talking uh, about a few chapters in our book tonight. So Linda should be joining us here. There she is. Hello. Hello. How, are How are you? Are you? Well, good, 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 good. good. <laughs> So um I was just telling everyone that Mike couldn't be here. I'm not sure what happened, but mm-hmm. he had something come up kind of last minute. So we decided, you know what? We can handle this, right? We're going <laughs> to right. we're going to go ahead and and do this. Um, uh, do you have a glass of wine with you tonight, Linda? I I am so excited. Oh, you got the white wine. (laughs) I got the red wine. So we are covered there. So, uh, we are getting close to finishing, uh, the co-regulation handbook. So if you are new to chapter chat, this is the book that we have been, I guess, studying and discussing. Uh, we, the previous book we did was Linda's other book, um, which Mm -hmm. was published when Linda, when was declarative?
1: Two years ago, March, 2020.
0: Oh, March of 2020. Mm -hmm. Wait, it came out right as the pandemic started.
1: March 7th, 2020. Wow.
0: It was up for one week, and then the world shut down. And then the world shut down, like literally, right? So if you haven't read the Declarative Language Handbook, highly recommend Mm -hmm. that. But we are now reading Linda's second book, and it is called The Co-Regulation Handbook. And Linda, one thing I thought maybe we could do is... Maybe we have some people who haven't, uh, you know, been with us the whole time as we've been talking about this. Can you explain in a nutshell what co-regulation is? Um, I think it would be helpful to start (laughs) with that.
1: Yeah, co-regulation essentially is responding contingently moment to moment with your communication partner. Um, So it's really powerful when we support kids' social communication overall because it helps us slow down and be in sync with that child. Um, and do what we can to, to support them to stay in the moment with us, which often means we are adjusting what we're doing. Um, and we talk a lot about competent, authentic, contingent roles within any interaction. And as long as you have that in an ongoing way, you're co-regulating. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. I was kind of flipping
0: through like the early chapters of the book and, um, I had highlighted something on page four that said, co-regulation establishes a shared focus of attention with your communication partner. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Mike, Mike, someone just asked, where's Mike? Mike isn't here tonight. It's just us (laughs) ladies tonight. So we're going to, we've got this covered. Um, but, uh, I really like that idea of a shared focus of attention, right? Where, and that's why I like what you talk about, that it's a contingent, you know, uh, interaction. The other thing I jotted down was partners in an, in an, in an interaction and respond to each other. Uh, like you said, contingently moment to moment. But I also love how you said, um, it's, uh, co-regulation is not a recipe, it's a dance, right? And oh, yeah, I just I think that beautifully sums up that it's this reciprocity, right? It's mm-hmm. this shared interaction, but it's give and take. And what I'm so right. excited about, we are going to be talking about chapters ten and eleven, um, and and twelve will kind of summarize that as well. It's more mm-hmm. of a kind of a working chapter, but um, is I love so much about chapters ten and eleven where you really talk about how to we as the adult we sometimes have to adapt our expectations uh, especially when you talk about playing games you know and mm-hmm. and 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 how kids always want to win i think that's in the next chapter but i i mm-hmm. really hit me like This is what co-regulation is all about is meeting kids where they're at and giving them the the support and the pacing and everything that they need to be successful in this moment right now, not what society expects them to do or not what someone based on their age, you know, we talk about age appropriate skills, Mm -hmm. what somebody expects them to do. So that's what I love so much about these two chapters is it really kind of, um, hit me that, yeah, this is co-regulation. This is meeting kids Mm -hmm. where they're at in the most authentic way possible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'll add, I can add even just like as a preview. Um, so in my practice, we do, we do a lot of peer groups, you know, and parents come to us who just are wanting to support their kids to, um, you know, play with peers, be with peers, develop relationships with peers. And I think when people come in, they, they might call it a, they're looking for a social skills group. Right. But we just don't call it that at all because for us, it's not teaching social skills. It's I appreciate building, that. Yeah, so it's much. building authentic relationships between kids yep. and helping kids form positive memories of themselves as peers and play partners, helping them feel good around um, just their peers so that they want to come back for more. Sure develop a positive relationship, which can then turn into authentic friendships. And then like, again, if you can get all that stuff at the ground level, then the skill building naturally happens within the context of an authentic relationship, just those moments unfold. So it's not about sitting at a table and doing a lesson, it's doing the groundwork of creating space for the kids to have a relationship with each other so that um, learning opportunities naturally arise. I love that. Um,
0: As as an early intervention provider, one of the things that um, I'm always uh, talking about is that there's five developmental domains. So when we talk Mm -hmm. about early child development, we have cognitive, which is where eventually academics kind of falls into that. You know, so we have cognitive, we have communication, which obviously you and I are SLPs. You know, we're big Mm -hmm. into functional communication Uh, We have the physical domain, which includes gross motor, fine motor, sensory motor, you know, also with like, can you hear? Can you see? How do you feel? You know, physical. And then we look at adaptive or self-help and how much, how independent is the child? You know, how much can they do for themselves? Uh, But the fifth domain is that social emotional domain. And as a parent of an autistic child, uh, in fact, as a parent of of even two neurotypical children as well, I think that that social emotional domain is the one we don't address often enough, you know, developmentally. Mm-hmm. We we look at the other four domains as being really important, but I think that social emotional domain is often put at the back burner, and then all of a sudden you'll have these older kids, and we're like, oh, gosh, their mental health isn't very good. Well, you can't wait until they're in high school and then go, oh, mm-hmm. maybe we should teach them how to make and keep friends. would. argue helping children learn how actually giving them a foundation skills for how to make and then keep friends is absolutely essential because when it all comes down to it wouldn't you agree Linda that um to a a pretty good degree um being included inclusivity Mm -hmm. is part of what gives our life purpose right if Mm -hmm. you you need to be included in um you know the social community in the you know in the in the physical community, you know, in the, in in the academic community or whatever, you know, your peers are doing and learning. So for me, um, I've always said, um, again, it's true for all three of my children, but specifically for Aaron, who is autistic, the ability to, um, be able to make and keep friends is so important for me because Mm -hmm. one of the things, so chapter 10 is where we're starting and your chapter is called peer
1: interaction
0: and friendships. And
1: can I add to what you just said? Please do. Yes. Um, We want kids to be included, but in an authentic way.
0: So it's Thank not just
1: you. having them be in the room and that's good enough. It's no, what are no. the roles we can create that are authentic and competent within this opportunity. And that what means I It's not on the kids. It's on right. us to figure right. that out. Because we're the adults, Or there's right? a balance.
0: Yeah. Yes. And it's mm-hmm. our responsibility to create a right. learning environment where everybody thrives, not just right. the neurotypical kids or the kids with strong you know, social mm-hmm. learning skills. But we need to right. create those learning environments where everybody can be included but in an authentic way yeah. so yes you're right you know setting up a situation where we bring um you know uh, a, a child diagnosed with x y or z into this setting and say oh see now it's inclusive mm-hmm. that doesn't make it inclusive right we want right. it to be authentic and i think yeah. that that word authentic and genuine uh is so so very important but yeah. one of the things uh, so you you your kind of subtitle of this chapter is creating positive successful peer interactions and mm-hmm. i had to laugh out loud because on page mm-hmm. seven you actually talk about communication and interactions with adults are easier. And Mm -hmm. I have been, this is something I have talked about for so long because I work with um, young children uh, as, as an SLP. One thing that I've noticed, um, you know, I'm what my 26th year in. And one thing that I notice is children with social communication challenges, you know, who really struggle uh, uh, really with those kind of, you know, social learning, uh, social communication challenges, Um, they tend to prefer to interact with adults. And so one way I've always described it is that these kids tend to prefer tall friends, meaning they like adults, right? (laughs) So I always say we need to make sure we're really aware that we need to help children learn how to have short friends too, because now we're referring to those peer-to-peer interactions. So um, I I love kind of talking through people. Why is it that children Mm -hmm. with communication challenges, why do they prefer tall friends? Why do they prefer adults? Well, you mentioned it there. Adults have more predictable behaviors, right? So Mm -hmm. I know when I play with this adult, they're not going to snatch a toy out of my hand. They're not going to bite me unexpectedly. They're not going to just throw themselves on the floor and start screaming randomly, which you know might send me into dysregulation. So adults tend to have very predictable behaviors. The other thing adults do very well is they anticipate the needs of young children. So if Mm -hmm. I struggle communicating and you're my tall friend and you anticipate my needs for you, I really like hanging out with you because (laughs) you know what I mean? My peers, they don't Mm -hmm. seem to care about my needs at all, right? They're not thinking about what's best for me or if I'm might possibly be hungry or thirsty or want to do bubbles, something I hadn't even thought of until you mentioned it. So mm-hmm. I think that really I, I just and that's literally what I wrote was tall friends. That was yeah. my note is I think that you you nailed it when you say communication and interactions with adults are easier. And
1: the reason why they're more predictable. Right. Yes. So yeah. And adults just naturally scaffold for the child. Um, yep. And I, and last week we talked a lot about complexity and how the complexity of the opportunity can increase quickly. And one of the things is just who that communication partner is Yep, can be complex. So, you know, one kid, if, if the two children have different paces, that's going to be more complex and harder, right. but also if there's an adult and a child, you changed it from two people to three people. So that's also complex, adds complexity. Right, um, right. So yeah, people might not, understand right away why peer interaction or why their child is struggling with peer interaction. But I think when you are able to look at it through that lens of complexity and how much Mm -hmm. changes when it becomes peer to peer versus peer to adult, it totally becomes easier to understand. And and then you can can step back and think about, okay, well, I acknowledge this is harder and it's become more complex. How can I create competence given this condition? Yeah. Or given this change in the learning environment. Absolutely. On page
0: 77, I love how you tie kind of both of your books together. You say, "Um, in other words, we're going to use declarative language and co-regulation to help your child connect to and form relationships with other kids. And over time, that's the key, over Mm -hmm. time, develop friendships. Mm -hmm. Because really, you know, what good is it to have communication skills if you can't use those to interact with other people? You know, if you can't build meaningful, authentic relationships. And again, not just with your therapist and your parents and your family who loves you because you're family, but we want you to be able to have those meaningful, authentic
1: relationships Mm -hmm. with peers, right? With other, other kids too. So, um, and I think, um, yeah. And I think one thing that's always important to emphasize that I feel like I come back to a lot is just helping people understand. It's not about the conversational skills. It's about the relationship on the ground level. So, I'm not interested in whether a child can have back and forth conversation because I know that will come if I get the connection. You actually have a statement
0: in one of these chapters. And I don't know that I highlighted or that I could find it right away, but you actually say that one of the strategies is actually engage in activities that don't require a lot of spoken mm-hmm. language. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's one way we can reduce the complexity is right. that's why that term, mm-hmm. we need to build social communication skills, or we need to have social skills groups. That's not what this is about. This is about mm-hmm. building meaningful, authentic, genuine relationships and reducing the amount of spoken language is yep. absolutely one of the top and easiest strategies to do to mm-hmm. reduce the complexity. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, on page 77 at the very bottom, I, this is one thing I actually read this Mm -hmm. sentence to Aaron and his reaction makes me laugh out loud. I said, but with you, you said, but within kid to kid interactions, this is where the rubber meets the road. And we've been working (laughs) with Aaron on idioms. And so I said, what do you think that means? This is where the rubber meets the road. He's like is there a tire on a car driving on the road? I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's the literal. He goes, oh, this is non-literal. So it was really interesting. I love when I, I pick idioms out all the time now, but just because we're so used to them, you know what I mean, that we just read right over it and don't think much about it. But for my 17 year old autistic son, who is really trying to figure out literal versus non-literal language, it's very Mm -hmm. helpful. So where the rubber meets
1: the road, yeah. This is where it all comes together. It is. (laughs) It is.
0: Mm -hmm. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, in this chapter, we're on chapter 10 of the co regulation handbook. You Mm -hmm. actually give, is it six? Let me see. Two, four, six. Oh, it's actually eight. Um, I want to call them, would you say their strategies? You call them, I think, considerations
1: to keep in mind. I would mind. say, yeah, it's consider considerations is the word that I ended up uh-huh. using, just things yeah. that I'm thinking about when I'm sure, with Sure, sure. So let's go through So the first yeah. one, we've
0: been talking about mm-hmm. this whole book, but um, I love how you just kind of reiterate the importance of, because uh, so far up until this chapter, we've been talking about building and establishing competent roles for kids in the- adult child dyad, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's now you were talking about peer to peer or kid to kid interaction. So talk right. to us a little bit about building competent roles for the child uh, right. in the peer to peer interactions.
1: Yeah. So anytime you have an opportunity to create peer interaction, you want to enter with that competent roles mindset. So you want to be thoughtful. What's an activity that we could do together that will be competent and successful for the child I'm thinking about. And also, what's the best way to play with what it is? Like, you know, we've talked about this before, but we may have a game, but it doesn't mean we're going to play it by the, by the rules. Exactly right. Exactly um, right. And so even if you go in thinking about, okay, what, ca- what can my child do? And how can I create a peer interaction up. Op- opportunity around that that's a good mm-hmm. place to start um, even just a basic strategy is you can think of um, like throughout the different ideas think of things that you've done with your child where you've been their partner and they've been competent and then you can swap out your role for that with a other pia. child mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's just it's the the pattern is familiar but the communication partner is different so that's the complexity as the communication partner has changed But you know that the child has been competent and will be Mm -hmm. but there's a small challenge that's probably at their edge you know all these concepts Mm -hmm. that we've been talking about um but the main thing is you just want to go in thinking about what's a competent role for the child no matter what we're doing and right and have your your lens on because if you overshoot or undershoot know that you can tweak in the moment that's right. Um, and
0: I love how you give some examples. Yeah. Uh, the one that I mm-hmm. had never thought of was you talked about the game Candyland. So now we're uh-huh. talking probably about, you know, kids who are a little younger, you know, whatever, kids who are interested in that game. But I had ne- it had never occurred to me that maybe you only use, um, you gave lots of examples of how mm-hmm. to create competent roles. But, um, you know, one would be, uh, you know, you holding the deck of cards. Because you know how there's so many cards and they spill and they end up on the floor and kids get upset or a kid took a card from the wrong, you know, d- deck or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. To um, you know, kind of keep everything. Um, I don't know. Uh- Minimize Minimize, distractions. Thank you. Minimize distractions. I don't know what (laughs) I was trying to say. But somewhere in here, you talk about assigning roles. Like one person could be the card chooser and one person the piece mover. So it had never occurred to me you could play Candyland with one piece. Like that is brilliant with young Mm -hmm. kids because oftentimes it's who's winning. Well, if you're both using the same piece, the goal is now not to win. The goal is to get to the end so Mm -hmm. we can share in this in this achievement together, that is brilliant, Linda. Like, Mm -hmm. of of all the ways I've modified Candyland in in my years. (laughs) And I was happy to read somewhere, um, it might be uh, in a little bit different section, about how we as the adult can kind of manipulate the situation, I think it's in the next chapter, because sometimes kids do need to win. They need to experience some success. So mm-hmm. like my daughters who are 23 and 24, they were devastated when I told them that, you know, with Candyland, when they were little, I would stack the deck so that they always got the the one where you drew it and it shot them all the way up to the top, you know, because I wanted mm-hmm. to get the game over faster. But I also wanted them to have success and, you know, experience that. But I love the idea of using, of using one piece. And one child is the card chooser. One kid is the piece move. Linda, would you ever recommend, within the game, could they switch roles, could they alternate or not?
1: As long as they're competent, absolutely, yeah, so definitely, you're just always keeping your eye on competence, so if they can comfortably swap, and they both would be competent in that opposite role, definitely, and then going back to complexity, you create this possible decision-making opportunity for them, like, oh, I'm wondering if maybe you'd like to swap for the next turn. Where you can be the card chooser and your buddy can be the peace mm-hmm. mover, and mm-hmm. then you're you're inviting them to make that choice if you feel like they're ready for that decision. Sure, opportunity. sure,
0: sure. Yeah. So yeah, you talked about like ways you could modify Caribou, which is a tough mm-hmm. game to talk about because you can't buy it anymore. So we we won't <laughs> get into that. All that's, right. Um, but Candyland, and then I think uh-huh. um you talked. Was there another one? I was trying to. Remember. Oh, like playing a, a a card game. Like you mm-hmm. could reduce the complexity. Um. Uh, like if you're playing chess, only using rooks yeah. and pawns, for example, or only using you know a, yeah. a few pieces to to and create. And that can that. show
1: too, just how okay Candyland is for our younger kids, but this this mindset still works as kids get older. So imagine mm-hmm. you have middle schoolers, and you want to create competence in them, um, you know, playing a game that that's a good challenge for them. Mm-hmm. You could teach them chess. But you don't have to use all the pieces. Just start with the rooks or the pawns or something. So you're reducing complexity on the board. Well, they just work on learning the moves or turns. Absolutely. Yeah. The other
0: one you gave, which is something I've done, um, with all three of my kids and didn't even realize that, that I was adjusting the complexity, but you talk about jigsaw puzzles and, um, you know, so maybe you start with a 50 piece puzzle, you know, instead of a thousand piece where nobody's going to have success, you know, can Mm -hmm. we start the one thing I did with Aaron and I was actually just looking through our game and and puzzle uh, closet, uh, because I was putting some things away and I would intentionally buy, by puzzles based on characters Aaron was interested in. And so that's how I got him to buy into it because he Mm -hmm. thought puzzles were too hard, but I have one that was like Toy Story, you know, back when he loved that. And one, it was like a 24-piece puzzle. And then I have some 50-piece puzzles that were, oh, like, um, I don't know, Disney characters, you know, from Disney movies. And now he has a bunch of 200-piece puzzles that he can do independently at age 17. And every one of them is about animals, every one of them. Uh He would still prefer someone do them with him, but he actually has the skill set, but he says It's more fun, which I would agree. Why would you want to do a puzzle all by yourself, you know, especially if you're a a kid? So Mm -hmm. I like how you talked about puzzles. You talk about um, changing the complexity of like doing Legos together, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're putting something together, I think you say someone could be the Lego finder and one is the Lego placer, right? Mm -hmm. So you're working on one um, Lego Um, structure. It's not like you're each doing your own, right? If you're working on building peer interactions, it's building one cooperatively.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's all these activities that kids might do on their own. And you think about how to create partnership or or contingent roles within what someone might normally do all on their own. Yep. Perfect. Perfect.
0: So then let's see you talk a little bit about different oh yeah these are the co-regulatory frameworks which I think Mm -hmm. you had talked about oh yeah in chapter six that you can have you know set things up like an assembly line like I hand something to you you put it in its place it could be complementary which means we're doing different things but they're pretty related you know to Mm -hmm. what we're doing and it could be parallel right which is where we both do the same thing but we do it
1: together simultaneously so Mm -hmm. um yeah you kind of reviewed that yeah Um, and example, like complementary with a jigsaw puzzle might might be so and so can be the piece finder and the other one is the piece placer and you kind of determine who's which role based on which one will be competent. Like some kids Mm -hmm. are really good at scanning and finding finding pieces but that might Mm -hmm. be hard for other kids. So the child who finding the pieces is hard the piece finder finds the two and then the piece mm-hmm. placer gets to put them together. Put them together. But put they're working together. together, matching pace as they move throughout the jigsaw puzzle and have that shared shared goal and shared achievement when they're done.
0: I have to tell you a funny yeah. story. So my, my family has always, we've just always done puzzles. It's something I grew up doing. And so throughout my kids, like they've just grown up with puzzles. We have one always on the dining room table. It's always set up. they are thousand piece puzzles now. But so uh, as Aaron has been growing throughout the years, it's been really funny to watch the girls and how they have naturally scaffolded based on his ability. Um, it's been really neat to watch. So I, I just thought of this, that the big thing in our house is who puts the last puzzle piece in. So if you have a, <laughs> (laughs) 500 or a thousand piece puzzle. It's at the end, it's this race, right? To get them. And whoever Mm -hmm. ends up getting it, they're like the champion. I don't know. You don't get anything, but it's just something that our family has always done. So when Aaron was younger, even though he couldn't participate in doing a thousand piece puzzle or whatever, the girls would always save the last piece because there was no question about where it went. Right. Mm -hmm. So they would say, Aaron, come here, you can finish the puzzle. And he would come over and he was so excited. And so he would put that last piece in. And so now he can participate. Once we get, down to with a thousand piece puzzle. I'd say if there's, you know, between 20 and 30 pieces left, he usually will come because he feels mm-hmm. more competent. I realize that now that's what mm-hmm. it is Is he feels like he actually has a competent role. So he will actually sit. And now it is funny because they don't save anything. What my girls started doing a few years ago is one of them would literally put a piece in their pocket so that they always had the last <laughs> piece. So we'd be like, oh no, we're missing a piece. And one of the girls would whip oh. one out and go, uh uh-uh, uh, I win. And Aaron would be like, that's not fair. You know, but he wouldn't get really mad. But he would fake pout, you know, like I Uh didn't win, but it's just been cute. Had they done that when he was really little, it would have been taunting. It would have been, I would have been upset with them for doing that. But now they get it. They get that he gets it, that it's funny, that it's kind of outrageous. Uh I don't know. So it's just been fun (laughs) over the years. I'm kind of watching how the girls have shifted. They're six and seven years older than Aaron. So just kind of watching Uh how they've um, changed, how they scaffold and, you know, uh, give Aaron competent Uh roles. So anyways, that's great. It is. It's pretty neat. Um, So, and I just couldn't love on page 83, like I highlighted almost the entire top paragraph. When you say um, you're talking about setting kids up for success by making sure they have competent roles. And then what we do is we fade back to let Mm -hmm. the kids decide how to progress in their relationship. Right. Yeah. But I love this next, next sentence. You say. Helping them feel comfortable and confident in their own skin while alongside other kids is the first step. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know why that hits me. It's just so important. Um, yeah, well, I
1: think, like, so often we just want to put kids in the deep end with other kids, mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. not confident, and they don't walk away with positive memories. And, and that's the first thing you want to do is just help them feel Comfortable, competent, yep. authentically. Yep. Yep. You, know, yep. you know, I'm repeating my favorite words. But, yeah, um, no. But, it. you know, even when we were thinking about it or talking about inclusion a little bit ago, you know, it's not about just putting a child in the environment and prompting the, them along to yes. do what everybody else is doing. It's finding that role that's just right for them. So they feel good and, um, you know, a true member, a true important member of that opportunity yes. and community. And I
0: love, last week we talked about that. What were, well, you just said a phrase, and I can't remember because I was looking for this, <laughs> that edge of competence. Didn't you talk mm-hmm. about, the didn't you just say the edge? You're, you're yes. on the edge where we want to push them forward, but we don't want to do it at a pace that makes them overwhelmed or makes them shut down or feel incompetent, you know? So I I really appreciate that. And then you go on to say, you know, if we, the adult decide um, we choose the game, we decide that we have to play by the exact rules. Well, the only way the child is going to experience success then is if we prompt and prompt Mm -hmm. and (laughs) over prompt and prompt and prompt and prompt. And we never stop prompting to the point where the kid is like, this is no fun. I hate this game. I don't want to play this game anymore. And we're like, no, you started it you need to finish it right this is how it often unfolds when we direct how it has to go so I really appreciate that idea that you talk about letting kids kind of carve out opportunities to be competent and then let them kind of you know uh, take over the reins when they Mm -hmm. are are feeling ready to do that
1: yeah and one thing um, like I always know the roles are competent and just right for the kids if after they've learned their roles I can fade back and be quiet Mm-hmm. um because that's when you're goal, supporting yeah when you're supporting kids to be with each other it's not about me so it's not about me being in there and doing all the talking and directing how things should go it really should be if we're going for that authentic relationship mm-hmm. it should be me setting it up and the and then me being able to fade back so i can be quiet and just let them yep. let it unfold let them yep. navigate the breakdowns and repairs i'm there fading in and out as needed but in not case. more
0: Yeah, but not
1: more right? Um, Because we end up creating prompt dependency. If we Mm -hmm. feel like
0: our role is to be there to make sure that there are no communication breakdowns, you know, to make sure that we're uh, telling the child, oh, this is what he meant when he did that. You know, if we're always trying to interpret or something, then yeah, yeah, we create that prompt dependency. And that's where I always say we're doing more harm than good at that point, because what we're doing is therapizing kids. I mean, it's a made up word, but our goal should never be to therapize, uh, you know, a child where he can only be successful in a certain situation if we're there guiding them and prompting right. them to do that. So yeah. I love your, you know, your words. Think competence, think joy, think mm-hmm. about forming positive memories where kids feel good about themselves and good about each other. You guys, yeah. I mean, I don't <laughs> know if there's any more important words in this crazy mm-hmm. world we live in. Can we please think about joy? And 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 Linda's, you know, your 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 just your words ring so true. Think about competent roles. It's not even a term I had mm-hmm. ever even used until, you know, we read this book. And now I'm obsessed with it. You know, creating <laughs> (laughs) a competent role for a two-year-old? What is a competent role for a three-year-old? What is a competent Mm -hmm. role for an eight-year-old? What is a competent role for my 17-year-old autistic son, right? We never Mm -hmm. stop thinking about competent roles. So I just love though that you brought in joy because uh, joy is... I mean, what's the point of living if you don't have any joy? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I just, I think that's, that's gotta be, gotta be it. And positive memories. Um, I think those episodic memories, they're going to be able to draw on them if they actually have some positive ones, you know, to draw on instead of it being a negative.
1: Yeah. And when you're working to support peer interaction, like you want the kids to walk away with positive memories of their time with the other kid, not me. Like it's that, it You know, it's not about me at that point in my relationship with the child. It's about creating space for them to remember their time together, or the beginnings of their relationship, or their relationship over time. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that comes up a lot in some of the groups that we do is kids who've been together over time, and they have these nice relationships, they, they reflect back on their shared narrative together. And it's so Mm -hmm. awesome, because they'll, they'll think about when they met, how old they were, (sighs) like what things they used to do together, you know, so it's not we're teaching you skills and then you're done. It's like, no, we're going for the authentic relationships that will sustain over time and you can reflect back and you have that narrative together as as, um, friends or peers or whatever. Yes, I love it. I love it. All right, so
0: we've been talking a little bit about this, but your next section you say with peer interactions, it's also great to use authentic activities. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about what you think as a facilitator. How do you determine what an
1: authentic activity is? Well, I think if you were to imagine having – someone over for a play date, say, you would just, you could easily just use the things that you might normally do with your child and just mm. transfer, transfer roles. Mm-hmm. So you could cook together. I know we've talked about that where maybe mm-hmm. make you make a snack together with the kids or in the book, I, you know, maybe you're out in the, in the yard, watering plants together, planting seeds together. Um, younger kids definitely do like cleaning. You could vacuum together. Yep. Not that yep. they have to, but um, right. But those sorts of things. So just using real life activities that we've talked about all along mm-hmm. the way that are good for learning, daily living, executive function, like mm-hmm. kid, kids love that stuff. So you can Absolutely. always grab that. I love how you talk about it. Use it. hmm on page 84 is about adding
0: sprinkles. So like maybe you're Mm -hmm. decorating cupcakes. Even if you just buy sugar cookies or cupcakes already done. Like even if you don't want to go through the process of baking, but letting kids decorate them. And I just love how you say, I add sprinkles, you add sprinkles. I add sprinkles, right? So we can even just add sprinkles, but it can Mm -hmm. be something that we do together um, and we both have a a competent role. I'm very excited. This Friday uh, Mm -hmm. my son is on spring break this week and we all it's going to do is rain the whole week. So we don't have a great week, but Friday it's to be nice so Aaron loves to go to the zoo we haven't been to the zoo yet this spring so we're going to go to the zoo here in Kansas City and I asked Aaron if he would like to bring a friend and he immediately said yes Ethan and um Ethan is uh a year older than Aaron uh he um is also autistic and he also loves animals tigers are his favorite but Aaron is already talking about last time we went to the zoo we did and he's all you know so he's reliving it with me so I'm super excited to see they haven't seen each other in a while just because of COVID and life is busy and all that Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm excited to see how their conversation goes and Aaron even said now I can ride the sky lift with Ethan because when just the three of us go me Jim and Aaron one of the adults rides alone and Aaron picks a parent and rides the sky lift you know the thing across the Mm -hmm. the the zoo Um, but when he said now Ethan and I can ride together and I said yeah you can you can sit in the same little so anyways Mm -hmm. it's neat to listen to him kind of talk about what's going to happen on Friday and he's basing that all on episodic memories, you know, what he's done in the past. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. Reflecting back, planning ahead, executive function. Super cool. Mm -hmm. Super cool. So we pick authentic activities and let's see, you talk a little bit about oh, well, this is something you've mentioned throughout the book. I Mm -hmm. love the idea. It's at the top of page 85 where you say it's important to name your role.
1: Tell us why you think it's important to name uh, the Mm -hmm. role for kids. I think for peer interactions, especially because it just helps them know what what to do. Mm -hmm. I think um, social interactions are so elusive and not spelled out. And you have to kind of be good at visually referencing, decoding in the moment, the contextual Mm -hmm. information to know how to fit how to join um but if we are right there and able to name the roles in the moment then the child then we take that load off of the child that cognitive load of gotcha. problem solving so that they can be competent and just be with their other with their friend or with their right. peer. so that's it what you literally the say out of it right yeah. you
0: can be the whatever Mm -hmm. and and you can be the or you know so and you're teaching kids then to even make that role I mean I think about when I was a little kid and my best friend Rachel and I would get together I mean I was probably like six or seven I'd be like okay let's play house so I'll be the mom and you Mm -hmm. can be the dad and we'll get your little sister Sylvia to be the baby you know and (laughs) so we would like you know I mean we would start naming roles in imaginary play as well so um, it just kind of makes sense that this is what we do is we name the role right um And it decreases.
1: um, It's going to decrease anxiety because they don't have to figure it out, and we're and we're making sure it's a competent role. So also, we know that I I, I just think of.
0: stories all the time so during the pandemic we started playing poker as a family because we had all my kids their fiance and husband I mean everybody came home for spring break in March of 2020 and they never left I mean they never went back to school (laughs) they Mm -hmm. were there for almost you know what I mean it was crazy so we started playing poker tournaments at night because we literally couldn't leave the house and so Aaron didn't couldn't play poker and didn't really Mm -hmm. want to learn. Like he was, he was um, not okay with it, but we have a card shuffler, you know, one of those electronic, Mm -hmm. you know, card shufflers. So Aaron was the card shuffler and so he would sit there with the whole family and we would play poker and Aaron would shuffle cards in between. And so I think about it, I'm like, oh, we gave him a competent role at at the time. Didn't realize it. So in retrospect, I'm like, oh,
1: that's what we were doing. Giving Mm -hmm. him a competent role. And he was authentically part of it. Oh,
0: he was, and he was just tickled. (laughs) Tickled, absolutely tickled because he loves the electronic card shuffler, which honestly it is kind of cool, you know. Uh-huh. So
1: he he thought it was pretty neat. Oh, so that's awesome.
0: Okay, talk to us about how to build um, relationships between kids at recess. You give a few recess ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Well, one disclaimer too is just kids. We always want to be sure that we give kids what they need at recess. So if uh-huh. it's movement, um, you know, you just want to. Le- you don't want to be too. Um, overbearing at recess, setting right, up right. things, if that's not what their body needs sure. at that point in time. Sure. Um, but ways that you could create peer interaction um, that I write about in the book are uh, chalk, just chalk mm-hmm. for the playground. So there's lots of opportunities you could, kids could color in parallel. Mm-hmm. So if if um, reciprocal peer interaction is a little bit too hard or not competent mm-hmm. at that moment in time, they could just be alongside each other in a parallel frame. Drawing something together, which creates opportunities for them to just visually, visually reference each other's sure. work, which, um, form the memory of being alongside each other. Mm-hmm. If they are um, up for more back and forth interaction, it could mm-hmm. turn into something like a guess the word game. Oh, yeah. where the rules could be, um, I'm the word chooser and you're the letter guesser. You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of our kids mm-hmm. are good with spelling and Mm -hmm. and um that sort of thing so that can be a competent role or you could draw together uh, where you have a mural so you're actually working on a collaborative project together so Mm -hmm. i love i love um just sidewalk chalk i think it has a lot of great I love opportunities at recess for kids, you know, and you can kind of use it in the way that's most competent for them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As, since I work in early intervention and in the natural environment, a lot of times I'm not working on peer to peer, but the child and their siblings, you know, trying to get mm-hmm. siblings involved and getting um, them to play together. So I remember I had this one family where that they we were outside in the driveway and the mom had, you know, a little bucket of sidewalk chalk and the two older siblings each took a piece of chalk and they drew like a road, you know, like on. On the on the driver nice. but they each drew one side of it yeah. and then their little brother got on his little ride-on toy and he drove down the road and so uh-huh. it was something they all three did awesome. together See? but they each had a different role mm-hmm. and again at the time I never even thought to label it because I didn't know what I was looking at right. to me it was just oh they're cooperating they're engaging together right. but now what we understand is you know they, they are they're working and those two are working in tandem and parallel together right. you know and doing mm-hmm. that but they're they were giving their little brother then you know a competent role that he got right. to be the one right on the road so right pretty neat so yeah yeah. and
1: we see it and it's so fluid but now like that you have this lens you're going to name the rules in your head so that you can name them out loud for the child and say there were three roles there. As Mm -hmm. soon as you name them, then the child has the opportunity to give all three a try eventually. Isn't that neat? um, Because you marked it in that moment. Yeah. And it's so fun. Yeah. Kids do that all the time. They just create these routines and as we label and mark and notice. I, I, I think it just goes to show, uh, that you never stop learning. Like
0: in this mm-hmm. field, like I say, I've been doing this 26 years and I just, you never stop learning. And that's why this book club, I was so tickled um, when I asked Mike if he wanted to do this. And by the way, if you just tuned in, Mike is um, unavailable tonight. He had mm-hmm. something come up. So, um, but it has been a really neat experience because I'm reading books I never would have probably read, you know, or I would have, you know, thumbed through, but maybe wouldn't have taken the time to analyze. And mm-hmm. I just, uh, again, I think about how much I've learned from your two books. And you guys, if if you don't aren't familiar with Linda's books, I mean look how they're not super thick. They're <laughs> not like those big books that take like, you know, uh two months to read. I mean, you can read them in a weekend, literally. Mm-hmm. I appreciate Linda that you wrote them with as few words as possible. Like I feel mm-hmm. like you were really intentional about that, weren't you? Didn't you like say yeah, you tried I to tried. make them brief and I tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They to are the packed.
1: Sentences. Yeah. Yeah.
0: They are packed with punch though. So um talk to us about breakdowns and repairs then, because
1: this is a really mm-hmm. important section. Um, so basically, you know, we've talked about this in terms of um, interactions with between us and kids and just giving kids opportunities to notice breakdowns, which just means when somebody's been misunderstood or someone didn't hear somebody. Um, but we also want to help kids become competent and comfortable navigating communication mm-hmm. breakdowns with their peers. So what that means is we have to be really mindful of being quiet and fading back when we notice a communication breakdown between two peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've set up competent, contingent, competent, authentic, contingent roles and that co-regulatory flow such that you can fade back, you're in a really great place to not say anything when that breakdown happens. And it will. And we want it to. We really mm-hmm. want that breakdown to happen because- sure navigating repairs is a really important communication skill. Um, Give us an example of a communication yeah.
0: breakdown that you would hear between two <laughs> yeah. young kids.
1: Yeah. And old kids too. Well, so old a, kids a too. big yes. one is, so this is so easy because I know it comes up for everybody all the time. You're doing whatever you're doing, whatever activity and you are taking turns and someone doesn't notice it's their turn. Mm-hmm. So typically maybe we jump in and say, so-and-so it's your turn. Or mm-hmm. we say, whose turn is it? Um, so in that moment, don't say anything. Like, right. That is huge, like, really important time to just fade way back, be super quiet, and let the peer notice that their friend's not taking their turn. Mm-hmm. Or let them in that moment figure out whose turn it is, not mm-hmm. me. Um, so any like group activity, or, or even like a two-person activity, we see this happen, or I see this happen, and, and I'm just really quiet. And sometimes if it's more than two kids playing a game, they'll start talking to each other. Like, well, well, whose turn is it? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. one of them will know and they'll jump in they'll say, Oh, I think it's so-and-so's turn. And -and so-and-so might not be paying attention or they might be thinking about something else. And then they're like, so-and-so it's your turn. And -and so-and-so doesn't hear. But then that again, they have to persist. They have to get louder. They have to say their name again. Uh, Um, So it's not just sometimes the initial repair doesn't work. And I'm Uh still not going to jump in. I'm going to let those kids take it as far as they possibly can. I won't let them fail. Like, I'll make sure the connection happens. But I'm not going to jump in without, until they've exhausted all of their resources. What would you do
0: (laughs) if the child doesn't respond and the peer like yells at them, like gets yeah. almost mean. Would you intervene right. if, in some way at that yeah, point? Or, yeah, and yeah. I
1: think I would probably say like, oh, I, I think he maybe didn't hear you. Let's try, oh. you know, I bet if you just mm-hmm. call his name first... Or say it, you could probably say it with a friendlier tone, he might uh-huh. hear you. Okay. So in that moment, I would probably just create understanding about sure. why the person did respond. That makes yeah. sense. A little bit Very of perspective good. taking. But then on the other side, if someone, you know, was doing something else, I'd, I could say, well, your friend's becoming a little impatient because it's your turn and you haven't gone yet.
0: Ah, so, so you can, can go the other go, way too. You can go both mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, fascinating. Fascinating. And then, once again, I feel like you you use a little bit of a different term here. You talk about the richness of slowing down. Mm -hmm. You, in previous chapters and even in the other book, you talked about pacing, which I feel like is kind of what this is. But talk Mm -hmm. to us about how important it is to slow down and, and focus on Oh, I just love this. How you talk about process, process moments. Moments. So instead of the end result, yeah. the product, that talk to us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so
1: whatever it is you're doing with kids, like the activity is just one and only one part of it. But there's mm-hmm. front-end and back-end moments that are just rich, important, don't mm-hmm. go fast. So it might be deciding on what you're going to play. Sure. If you feel the kids will be competent in that decision-making process. So sometimes I hold on to decision-making of what we're going to play because I know they might not decide a game that's going to be competent and successful. Gotcha. But if they're further along in their relationship and they can, they can manage that decision, that's a process moment that I give to them. Um, Setting up the game. I'm going to let them do that as long as it's competent or I scaffold the parts that might not be competent Um clean similarly cleaning up the game. So it's Mm -hmm. all those little moments. Um and And the little moments matter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too this is where I talk about like you don't have to finish a game. Right. And that's so important. Yeah. One thing um, like this is just such a fun activity, I think, for executive functioning, but also for, for creating that shared narrative over time. So you can imagine if you're playing a game with kids and you don't have time to finish, know that mm-hmm. that's okay. You can, um, like, take a photo of the game. So mm-hmm. Oh, to see where you're at. Yeah, mm-hmm. so say it's Monopoly, or really any game is okay. You can just take a photo of the game, all the pieces, and, um, and then make a plan to continue the game the mm-hmm. next time you're together. Mm-hmm. So you're creating that shared memory of where we left off. You're modeling, like, it's okay not to finish. We all pause things at time because mm-hmm. of time restraints. Um, you're making a plan for the future so they can look forward to oh, seeing yeah. each other again and knowing exactly where they left off. Um, and then when you get to that next opportunity, you just can pull out the picture and then the kids can work together to set up the game. Set it up. I love it. So, One thing we've done, um, cause we're a big
0: game playing family is if we don't have a lot of time, maybe we're having, you know, burgers off the grill and we only have 20 minutes, you know, until dinner. So we don't mm-hmm. have a ton of time. We have a lot of games that we call our quick games where, you know, you can play like 10 Z is this dice game. And there's yeah. no like you, you just play, we don't even keep score. You just play it. You just roll 10 mm-hmm. dice. And you know, so you can play as many rounds as you want. So like, that's an example of, you know, what we would call like a quick game where we can just right. play a few hands or so um, sometimes, you know, when we're getting ready to play a game, we decide, do we have a lot of time
1: um, right. where we
0: could get out something like you wouldn't get out Monopoly if you only have 20 minutes. Like it takes 20 Mm -hmm. minutes to set the game up right so i like how you say sometimes we don't let kids choose or we need to talk about why that maybe isn't a good choice just for that little bit of scaffolding to to
1: help them yeah yeah Yeah. and i and like that's a great decision making opportunity for kids if you feel like it'll be successful like okay we have 10 minutes i Mm -hmm. i hear you that you want Monopoly, but I'm thinking we mm-hmm. might not have time, so I wonder if there's a game that we could choose that will be about ten minutes long. Right. Like That's 10 a quicker C- game. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. So even letting them but yeah, even giving Uno, them that opportunity right? to.
0: If we need a quick mm-hmm. game, Uno, you can play around it, you yeah. know. You can play 5 rounds of Uno in like less than 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, so excellent. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. your bottom line for the end of this chapter, um think about competence, take yeah. your time, carve out roles, help kids find their balance and respect and allow their relationships to unfold
1: naturally. Yeah. Like yeah. Yep, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I I wanted to um when you were talking about moving together, I did just want to yes. talk about Anthony and Michael, because they're just, they're just a good example of kids who had more, um, like emerging. Well, I would say they, they communicated a lot Uh non-verbally, um, you Uh know, their speaking was still developing, but they would just we would do things together that was movement together, um, you know they would swing together or something oh, like that, uh-huh. but then they became friends their their moms became friends outside of our session, and they would they would do things together, they would go to the beach, they would go on a train ride, they would go to the park um, so again, it's this example of they're not they're not having conversations, but they're together, oh, yes. they're forming memories. Mm-hmm. Um, That was their relationships. That's how it unfolded. And one of Michael's mom had told me at one point that they went to a place where they had previously gone with his buddy and he brought out, he said his name, like remembering that he had usually oh. been there with that friend. Isn't so, that neat? you know, even though he's, he's not speaking a ton, he had mm-hmm. that memory mm-hmm. of his friend and that connection and that shared experience love that it. they had. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's so, excellent. And that was Very their relationship and just honoring and respecting that for, Perfect. for what's Perfect. just right for them. Yeah. yeah.
0: Just right. I love that. Mm-hmm. Just right for, for each child. So let's just, um, Uh, do chapter 11 then. And Mm -hmm. this chapter is called Approaching Competitive Games. So I appreciated this chapter (laughs) very much because as we know, when um, kids get to a certain age, there tends to be more of that competitive streak, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to win. And so if they lose, we know that that can lead to big emotions, I think is a fair way to put that. Mm -hmm. So um, I just appreciate so much how you talk about, you know, we need to make sure that we as the adult Um, kind of scaffold this learning environment and help children uh, learn how to, you know, win gracefully, lose respectfully, or you used some term like that. I don't Mm -hmm. know what it was, but that they have to, um, uh, uh, here it is. They have to learn how to win respectfully and lose gracefully, but that you can't expect kids to just automatically know how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So in this chapter, you talk about, creating a loss that is manageable for kids, meaning mm-hmm. we're not just going to let them
1: lose every time, because right. talk to us about this, Linda, what's going to yeah. happen? So like, like I've seen people have the mindset where, well, they got to learn how to lose. So I'm right. just going to let them lose. And I'm like, but you're also going to crush them in the process and they're not mm-hmm. ever going to want to play. Right. So I just think about, of course, I want to provide them opportunities to lose, but I want to do it at a, at a pace, yeah, just a mm-hmm. manageable loss,
0: mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. and then there's just different ways that we can think about what's that manageable loss. Maybe even like what's that loss at the edge of their competence? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is it having you know having them lose a game like Sorry when they're just getting started? Like that's this a terrible long game, game. I know. Can I just all say these, uh,
0: when you are yeah. first playing a game with your right. young child, please don't pick Sorry mm-hmm. or Trouble because you get sent back home. Right. all the time, and you there's feel... There's so many oh, losses in
1: the whole game. There's
0: too many, right? <laughs> too uh, many. Th- yeah. Oh, and that's why even yeah. Candyland, when I first introduced to that to my kids when they were like three and four, mm-hmm. I took out, I didn't want, that's why I stacked the deck, I didn't want them to have to go backwards because when they very first time they played it, they, they were devastated. They thought they yeah. lost. They thought their lives were over. So mm-hmm. I, I just think this is something we as adults really have to think about. And the thing that I hit me so hard in this chapter, Linda, is on page 90, you say... Kids with social learning differences have so many losses and mm-hmm. misunderstandings in their lives. These happen day-to-day, week-to-week, more, um, much more than on for the average child. Um, nobody gets their way all the time, but an important difference for a person with social learning differences is that they are not as prepared or equipped to handle the disappointment. And I just, oh, I think that's so true. So mm-hmm. I just applaud you for bringing that up because I'm not sure that is something I'd ever kind of thought about that so many of our kids that's what they're used to is failing over
1: right. and over it's like and their over. resilience is lower to begin with because of right. the series of losses they constantly experience yep. mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we have we have to take good care of them like we, we have to do. take good care of them so that they build their resilience because you say yeah.
0: sometimes these kids truly feel like they never win and they mm-hmm. probably do like if you have right. to go to therapy for everything you had to go to therapy and learn to walk you had to go to therapy mm-hmm. and learn to talk you have to be in this special you know special education classroom everything you need help with right and Mm -hmm. so if you never have success if you never really experience that without a ton of extra work you know and you start recognizing that then how is playing games any fun if I'm going to lose at playing games too um, there's no joy in that for me so I don't Mm want to play games games are stupid right I don't want to do that so um, I think that um, this is something and you use the word kindness again here Mm -hmm. you talked about joy in the last chapter but this word um, what is that saying of all the things you can be in the world please be kind. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, if anything, if you can't be kind, get a new job. Like, you know, that's to (laughs) me. So on page 91, you say, be kind while kids are working to improve their ability to understand that losing a game is expected and manageable and to stay emotionally regulated. So Mm -hmm. be kind during that process. Don't expect um, a child with social learning differences to be like, oh, it's okay if I lose. Everybody loses sometimes, right? They're Mm -hmm. not gonna just, most kids are not automatic. Going to be at that point. Right. They're not there yet. It's not that they won't get there, but that's not no. where we start. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I was thinking I can start to give examples. So we, you know, we had just talked about what's a manageable loss. Like, where mm-hmm. does that start? So, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's actually tip number one. So do you want me to? Oh, yes. Let's go, go through into the that? tips. She gives realized. us five tips
0: <laughs> on ways um, to approach competitive games. Yeah.
1: And this too, I didn't say this in this chapter, I don't think, but it's good to start with a grown-up, so that oh, you can, mm-hmm. so that you can pace the loss, like kid to kid automatically, it's going to get harder fast. Right. Um, right. So one thing I think about is not a game that's one long game and there's just one loss Winner. at the end, mm-hmm, but rather mm-hmm. thinking of opportunities where there's lots of opportunities to win and lose, win and lose, win and lose. So tic-tac-toe, it's yes. like a quick game and, the, and you can play several rounds of tic-tac-toe in a row. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can, as the grown-up, you can kind of pace it so that you give the child some wins, like, oh, you won, oh, you won again, oh, you won again. And then in their immediate memory, they have, they have the memory of winning Mm -hmm. and then you can throw in a, um, a loss, right. But you're, you're approaching that loss after you've really thoughtfully padded it with the wins. Mm -hmm. So they're going to experience the loss, which you want them to. And you want them to form that memory as, as they're somebody who can handle loss, mm-hmm. but you've done the scaffolding on the front end to create that environment sure. so that they could handle it. Yep. Um, and That's so cool. that they stay in the game, like, oh, you lost, but let's play again. Cause let's I remember again. that you also won. Yep. Um, yep. So Love like it. little games, like the card game war, or, uh-huh. you know, sometimes I call it compare you know- because you can choose, um, you can choose whether the high card wins or the low card wins. So oh. we play compare. Um, but that's a good one. It's just lots of quick. Because you win um, or lose every losses. time you lay a card. Mm-hmm. So you get used right. to that, right? Whereas right. Uh, win, win,
0: lose, 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 win, right. lose, win, lose, win, lose, win, win, yeah. win, you know, so they can go in. But and what I like about that game is you may think you're losing in the grand scheme by your pile of cards, it turns mm-hmm. around real quickly. So yeah. yeah, that is that's a really good mm-hmm. one, and it's very rare that anybody plays to the end. Do you know what I mean? Like right. in that game, you just get tired of it after a mm-hmm. while, and so we just
1: end, and we all won some, and we all lost some, and
0: so that's a great example right. of of a good game to play. Yeah, yeah,
1: I like uh, Rat Attack Cat I mentioned in there, but that's another one. There's just quick rounds. So just you mm-hmm. want to think of a game that allows for quick rounds mm-hmm. where. Mm-hmm. The child can stop stockpile some wins, and then you throw in a couple of losses. But you know that you've created that space for them to handle. Sure, sure. Um, I, yeah, I was thinking about for older kids.
0: I don't know. I grew up playing Yahtzee. I don't know if mm-hmm. you're if you're mm-hmm. a Yahtzee fan, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't even have to total it up at the end because everybody mm-hmm. has to fill in every. You know, you all have to fill in all the ones, all the twos, all the threes, all the fours, all the fives. So even if you didn't want to total it, it could just be we just play till all our boxes are full. You know, you could modify it a little bit, and then there really is no winning and losing. It's just we all have to roll until we get you know all the boxes filled in. So I think it's really good to just always think about how can I modify the rules and be more flexible Mm -hmm. so that my child you know wants to engage in this type of activity and wants to play. And what we're really doing, and you say it somewhere in one of these chapters but it's really about building resiliency. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that is when we look at why do we play games? You know, why is this important? We want to build that kind of growth mindset that, you know, you can't win every time, but that, you know, you work hard and you give it all you've got and you win some and you lose some. And that's the kind of attitude we want kids to develop. But again, understanding they're not going to just automatically have that the first time Mm -hmm. you you decide, let's have family game night. And the game gets thrown across the room because we didn't provide competent roles. Right. We didn't focus on co-regulation. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah and good.
1: even as you have those losses, so maybe the memory after playing is done isn't. Woo, you won! It's hey, right. I love how you handled those losses. You're really growing. In that or even way. I enjoyed. This was so fun spending time with yeah. each other. You mm-hmm. know, and turning the
0: TV off and having family time together. We don't do right. that very often. You know, even just making it about the opportunity or the mm-hmm. um, the relationship. Yeah. yeah. So create small opportunities with balance for wins and losses. What's the second strategy? Oh, so pl- I like this one. Yeah,
1: this one's super fun. Just playing yeah. games as a team. So instead of, you know, imagine yeah. it's a family with, you know, with a couple of kids, mm-hmm. he- each child could pair off with a different caregiver. Yep. yep. And then, you know, the grownups can kind of scaffold as needed. Um mm-hmm but you don't lose on your own, which right, is hard, right? Like it I mean, is yeah, hard. when kids are just in there playing and they lost. It's a bummer. But if you lose with somebody, it feels way better. Yeah. Well, and, so. and the thing I love is like, you take something like uno, you mm-hmm. end up,
0: you know, unless you have a card holder, you know, one of those little plastic things, you kids end up with so many cards that they often get frustrated just with the activity itself because they can't mm-hmm. manage all the cards. So if you have an adult who can be the card holder yes. and the child can be the card layer, but together you decide which card to lay, you No, I mean that's one way to adapt Uno, which is again another very quick game where you can play best out of five, or you can play let's play six games, and if it ends in a Mm -hmm. tie, who cares, kind of thing. But yeah, 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 that's great. So, and if it's um,
1: yeah, and if you're in a group of kids, say with four kids, and they're at a place that they can play a game that's a little more complex, kids can be partners with each other. So then you're creating that shared memory of losing with your friend, which is I really like that losing by yourself with
0: older. Kids, like even something Mm -hmm. as annoying as um, Monopoly, and I only say it's annoying because it never ends. It's like the (laughs) eight hour long game. But if you were doing it with a partner, you know, that whole idea of managing your money and banking Mm -hmm. and, you know, making uh, thinking ahead. Well, if we buy this one, we won't be able to afford to buy that one. What if we land on that one, you know? So that would be kind of neat to be able to do that actually as a partnership because it allows for that problem solving, you know? And that's going to build authentic interactions, right? If you're problem solving and talking through. so I really like that tip play um, as a team so that there isn't one person who's losing I think it's Mm -hmm. fabulous
1: yep all right what's next tip number three three. this one is really fun kids first grown up so we do this all the time um and it might even be the step before like two kids like four kids playing Mm -hmm. um two against two it might be something where it's the four kids or the three kids against the grown up. Oh. And then the grown up can just, you know, pace it. They can mm-hmm. um, let the kids experience, a, you know, a few wins before mm-hmm. the grown up then wins. Um, mm-hmm. But it just creates this really nice camaraderie between kids. They are between joyful because the they beat the adult. Yeah. But then when the adult does win, you know, they have that resilience built so they can handle it. So oh, it I could like be that. it could be games like tic tac toe. We've done that, um, where the kids decide together where to put where to put the X or the O, and then mm-hmm. the grown up is the opponent. Um, but it really could be any game. But again, it just so the grown up is going to thoughtfully insert losses at a pace that's manageable for the kids. But then when the kids experience the loss, mm-hmm. they can manage it because number one, you've built up the resilience, and number two, they have sure. each other. So they have a shared memory of again just. Beating the adult or losing against the Absolutely. adult, um, and it's just a totally different feel. It just sure. creates connection. Sure. Around. I have to tell that you, I, I, hard. I have this
0: funny story. So when Aaron <laughs> first got his Wii, which I mean, I don't know, it's old. It's a long time ago, and I don't even know that he plays it much anymore. But Mario Kart, and so we used to do family Mario Kart night, night where it'd be the three kids and Jim and I, and Um, I think about creating competent roles. And I now realize Aaron was creating a competent role for me because I'm the worst Mario Kart driver ever. (laughs) And he would always, when I would ask to play, because he really would prefer I didn't because I'm not as good as the rest of them. But when we did, he would always take me to Coconut Mall or I can't remember, but (laughs) the girls informed me, oh, mom, that was the easiest one. Because when we take you Mm -hmm. to the hard ones, you just die over and over. And Mm -hmm. So I think how funny that Aaron was reversing the roles on me that's and awesome. a competent role for me because he wanted me to experience success and he would oh my gosh I can't that's even believe I'm thinking of this he would literally slow down so that I didn't get last place like he would wait he would do things so that I wouldn't
1: come in Aww. last he'd be like
0: good job mom you got 11th not 12th so he <laughs> was like trying to help me not feel sad
1: oh it just makes me laugh when I think about it he was building your resilience he was he was I Mario still hate the thing. So yeah yeah that's yeah, awesome
0: yeah. So, okay, what about tip number four? This, mm-hmm. I would have never thought of this. This is use reflection and journaling.
1: Talk to us about journaling. So I imagine we know lots of kids who say, I never win. And then you're like, yes, you do. You, you win sometimes. Uh huh. But I, the negative memories are the strongest for kids. Yeah. And that's what they remember. So I'm not going to invalidate that you feel like sure. you never win, sure. even though I know that that's not totally accurate. But if you just start the process of writing it down, then then you have that shared memory, that shared information to refer back to. Um, Like, I remember I tried this in the most simplest way with a group of kids years ago. And I think it was, so it wasn't as much winning and losing, it's a similar idea, but it was when kids are arguing about who gets to go first and they they know who gets to go first. And I'm like, well, you do. So how how can I help you remember that you have recently gone first? Uh And all I did on a piece of paper was start to track the order of turns, like who went first this time, who went first that time. And as soon as I just made it concrete and visual in that way, then the kids were like, oh, yeah, I did go first. It's (laughs) so-and-so's turn. But you can do it something very similar with with wins and losses. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if it's just jotting it down in a notebook, then you have that shared information to refer back to. It's a, it's a mutual memory that maybe you jot, you jot it down together. So it's, it's not your word against the child. It's, right. well, let's just look at the data that we collected together. Exactly. Another way I can so, think of if you mm-hmm. have a bunch of kids
0: is who gets to pick what game we play. You know, mm-hmm. he always gets to pick. I right. never get to pick. Well, let's yeah. write it down then, right? Mm-hmm. Whose turn is it to pick the game? Yeah, I love right. it. So yeah. journal, so it's very simple.
1: Tracking yeah. it, tracking the data. <laughs> so All kids right. can refer back to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Tracking the data. I love it. Number five, here we go with yeah. Casey again. Talk you to know. us
0: a little bit about pacing
1: yeah and i think like we've touched on this but it's just really being mindful to not do too much too fast and want Mm -hmm. reading your kids cues and and helping them experience loss at at a pace that's manageable yep for them yep so that they build resilience if it's too hard too fast nobody wants to play too much nobody wants to do it again right right, Um, right so just knowing again it's sharing that sharing that with the kids it's not all on them to deal with loss it's also on us to figure out how to pace it so that they are successful as they manage it. And, um, and I just think too, I want to, I want them to walk away with the memory of being somebody that can handle loss or can manage. Sure. Sure. Versus when they come into it, they might have a memory of themselves as someone who can't, can't lose. I just can't mm-hmm. lose. I mm-hmm. have a really hard time with losing. Um, but, we and we all, to, better, that's what we want to share. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I mean,
0: we all, are going to take our lumps in life, right? So that's right. why building resiliency. I know you lost this time, but you did win last time. Or you'll win again, you know, in the future. That whole idea right. that we can't win them all. And again, you can't say that to a young child because, you know, they're not ready for that yet. Right. But... um I love it. I love it. All right. So that is the end of chapter 11. So chapter 12, if you own the book, is kind of, how would you describe
1: this chapter, Linda? It's like a working chapter. Yeah. It's, uh... So we had it, there was one similar in declarative language handbook, but it's just mm-hmm. practice set. So around the different concepts that we've been talking about, like how to, I think the, the three main ones are just lots of different examples and how would you create a competent role and the right answer, there's no right answer. It's based on the child that you're thinking about in the moment. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, so if you were making a bowl of cereal with your child, what could be your role? What could be the Mm -hmm. child's role? It's going to be based on where your child is in development, what that competent role is. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So there's opportunities like around the house type of examples, then play examples. Um, yeah. It's a
0: great chapter. When I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this would be really helpful yeah. as a parent to have that. So, yeah. So then Linda, talk to us real quick. The last couple chapters, I don't know, are they kind mm-hmm. of a summary? Do we have enough to do another chapter chat on the last couple chapters or have we pretty much summed up the book? What do you think? Yeah.
1: Well, we're talking about the next one is know. progress. Just how do you oh, okay. progress? Oh sure, yeah. Um, research and then and then yeah, just something. Oh yeah, so we do want it. So, so I think we'll
0: do. We'll have one more then, right? One yeah. more week, and we will finish up uh, the co-regulation handbook. Mm-hmm. I um will let you guys know. I think it will be. I'll be traveling to Nebraska next Monday, but I think I can get there early enough and do it from my hotel room. So I'll I'll be in touch mm-hmm. with everybody. And Mike, uh, hopefully, will be back um, so that we can have our our uh, a little group back for one last time so Linda thank you for joining me tonight this was a lot of fun and um, if you haven't read it I highly recommend the co-regulation handbook so Linda have a wonderful week and I will talk to you soon okay Bye. bye